Hello, everyone. Yes, as Damien says, my name's Madeline, and I'm reading from God's Word this morning. So yes, reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen behind me. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So the letter of Colossians It encourages us to keep faith and carry on. Keep faith and carry on. And having began last week, we saw the gospel of Jesus is how we keep faith and how we carry on. And we were encouraged to pray that way for others too. Well, today we're going to press deeper into the good news of Jesus as we're encouraged to keep faith in the Supreme Son. Keep faith in the Supreme Son. Now, when Paul and Timothy wrote this letter around AD 60, there were cultural and social forces at work amongst the Colossian believers presenting very plausible, fine-sounding arguments, tempting them to have a distorted view to turn their eyes off of Jesus. Now, I think you'll find that not much has actually changed today. Lots of opinions, lots of pressures can shift our attention off of Jesus or distort our view of him just a little bit. Well, to help the Colossians and you and me see Jesus clearly in all his splendor, in all his breathtaking reality, one of the greatest few paragraphs about Jesus was ever written. This vision of Jesus in front of us is big and grand, and this perspective of Jesus, I think, is what you and me need to keep coming back to over and over again. Now, today will feel a little bit like going skydiving like I did on my 18th birthday. We're going to go up in a plane. We're going to bump all over the place in a rickety plane. And just as I wasn't able to appreciate how big the earth was and the perspective of when you finally jump out that plane, so too we're going to go up. And then as we jump out, metaphorically, we're going to see Jesus as I saw the earth from a new angle, a different perspective that you and I operate from in our daily life. To get out the plane and not just fly around the 
outside of the earth, but to drop down, you see stuff, you see things the earth in a way you never could. You could take it in from that vantage point that daily life never afforded. And we're going to take in Jesus from a vantage point today that maybe your life doesn't often afford you. And while we're going to start here, we're going to land our metaphorical sky jump. But it's going to land in a strange place. We're going to land on the church before we then consider the encouragement to keep faith and carry on and what this gives us. So let's do that. So the first section is in verse 15 to 20, and this is just the supremacy of Jesus. And so let's jump out that plane. And the first thing we discover as we jump is the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, the first of the 39 articles brings out God's spirituality by saying this, there is but one living and true God, everlasting without body, parts, or passions, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible. Now that's very positive. God is free from all limitations, is what it's getting out. The no parts bit simply refers to God's entire personality being perfectly integrated and organized at all times, unlike you and me. Having a passions does not mean God does not have emotions. It's that each act and emotion of God is willingly, purposeful, deliberate, unlike us. It is this God who says to his people, for the very first time they ever gather as the church at Mount Sinai, I am God, don't have any others. Oh, and don't think you can make an image of me. I mean, What in all creation could accurately represent the uncreated, invisible creator of all things? To represent God with creation would be to devalue and limit him. And then the sun comes along. And it turns out that in the sun, God can now be safely and perfectly imaged. The Son of God is the only way to gather up all of God's invisibility and spirituality and image Him perfectly. You see, Adam and Eve, they were meant to visibly represent God in all creation as His image bearers, but they failed. And ever since then, humanity has been left with an itch we've been trying to scratch. No matter how much time or money or effort or frustration we endure, we just can't seem to shake the fact that we have an image problem. Who am I? How do I make meaning in life? Am I happy? Who will accept me? How will I even accept myself? But then the perfect imprint of God comes along as the person of Jesus. And you and me can now be reconciled back to God and begin to live out God's intent for his image bearers through the Son. That's why Jesus says, uh, that's why Paul says here, Jesus is the firstborn. It's not that Jesus is created, like the first of God's creation. Don't think that way. Firstborn in the Bible, over and over again, refers to authority and primacy. So in 118, it explains it more. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. That is, he's the first to live a resurrected life that we will inherit as his people. 
And this is why the Son is central to God's plan. Look at verse 16. For in Him, the Son, all things were created. Things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So find a part of creation. Something in heaven, something on earth, anything invisible or invisible from gravity to potatoes. And the staggering claim is that Jesus was responsible for making it and for keeping it going. You see, God didn't create stuff because he was bored or lonely or afraid. Uh, or, or, or Afraid? Sad. He wouldn't make if you're afraid. He, but God wasn't that. He wasn't anything. He was perfect in, his, in himself, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. He was complete in himself. And everything he made was an expression of his fullness and love that has always existed. Everything from black holes to the color blue was made by God for Jesus as an overflow of the love he already has. All things have been created for him. All things have been created through him. He is the personal agent of creation. This is Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, this does not mean that all things are currently being used for their God-given purpose and intent, right? You know, the previous verse, authority, thrones, powers, rulers, just because they're there does not mean they glorify God. But they exist, even in this state, in Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. They serve him as he sovereignly uses them for his good purpose. And that should give us comfort. Nothing is out the purview or purpose or plan of Jesus. And that's why the gospel is such good news. Because the Supreme Son can reconcile all things in rebellion back to himself. You see, the, only the one holding it together can lead creation and you and me back to its intended purpose. And the way we get there is through the Supreme Son making peace between Creator and Created. Creator, created and Creator. And at this moment, we find something really odd. We're traveling down, skydiving, dropping out the plane, going, wow, look at the sun. And then we, we, uh, we pull the chute and we float down contemplating Jesus. And then what you land on takes you a moment to think through this because it seems underwhelming at first, right? It seems like the one place you wouldn't think to land on you do. And it's the church. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So we're thinking about Jesus' relationship to all creation that's astronomically wide and deep and then Paul and Timothy kind of just say, oh, the church. And it's underwhelming at first. Well, maybe black holes would have been a better spot to land at this point, you know. Well, but actually... It's not. Because, first of all, when Paul writes church, he's not referring to a building, but the people of God. The church, in Paul's understanding, is about gathering, not bricks. And gathering as God's people is what God's people have always done since the first time he gathered them at Mount Sinai. And when the image of God appeared, he becomes the head of the gathered body of believers. 
Now just think back to 1.15. This incredible language of image and body pulls this concept together. Jesus as a human is the image of the invisible God. The church is spoken of as what? His body. Imaging him with him as the head. Do you see the pattern and picture emerging? The church is the body of Jesus here and now, bringing the good news of the Supreme Son to all people, as 123 says, under heaven. You see, it's not just the Son that holds a place, a crucial place in God's plans and purpose for the world, but it's the church as well. Hear this. The church doesn't save or reconcile to God, but we declare this. We declare Jesus, the Supreme Son, does, the head, and we point people to him. You see, there are many, many beautiful reasons for us to gather as God's people. But the supreme reason, the reason we must always come back to, is to be calling people like you and me to faith and repentance in Jesus. And unless that mission burns in us and out from us to others and we encourage one another in it, the church is just like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. It's going to be thrilling and fun and nice and wonderful for a while, but no help when it really matters. So we've landed, we're looking around, and then we get a glimpse of how the Supreme Son behaves towards all things, and this is just mind-blowing. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We now have the reason why the Son images God, we now have the reason why he's the head of the church. Reconciliation. And it happens through God becoming like his image bearers. So picture this. The world's fastest runner, sprinter actually, is entered in a three-legged race. Now, her physical capability is the same, but by being in a three-legged race, the conditions have limited her just a tad. And even if she's with the second fastest person, both of them together are going to be a little bit slower than if they ran on their own, you see? And in the same way, even as Jesus hung on a cross, bleeding and dying at the hands of people, the whole world still revolved around him and in him and relied on him. When Jesus came to earth in the incarnation, yes, the conditions change, but he still upholds the universe. Which is why the awe that we have isn't just the birth of Jesus, but emphasizing the death and how he makes peace with all things. And it's not just you and me, did you get it? But all of creation. Now, a good note to make here is this isn't universalism. This isn't teaching the belief that everything will one day be saved that God's judgment has an expiry date. And then people will either fizzle out to nothing when they've paid for their sin or they'll be welcomed into heaven for the rest of eternity after they've paid their, their evil ways back. Unfortunately, universalism isn't what the Bible teaches here or anywhere else. Only Jesus brings about a true and peaceful order in all creation. In verse 16 and verse 20, all things are the same things, the spiritual and earthly realm. And Jesus will restore all things to their created intent. Evil will be judged. Those who know the Son are transferred into the kingdom of God and will forever be with Him. And He does that through a reconciliation of forgiveness. 
at the cross when we trust him. Or he'll do that through a reconciliation of judgment for those who reject him. And just as there is no end to God's kingdom, there is no end to God's judgment. And this vision of Jesus is getting the Colossians and you and me to think through and ask the question as Meredith began to talk through in the all ages, is this supreme Jesus number one in your life? Have you been reconciled to God through him? And if you haven't, if this is not your view of Jesus, may I ask you, why not? What's stopping you? What reason is it? Why not meditate on that? And then come and chat to me if I can be helpful in talking through that more. And if you have, if you're here today and say, gosh, that's my view of Jesus, but I often forget that. He's, oh, I am reconciled. If that's you, then these last two verses give you a shot in the arm of confidence of finding refuge in Jesus, of being holy and blameless and free from accusation. Um, we could call this section, the last few verses, you are here. Like as a skydiver comes down and lands, um, you are here. Tasted and seen the supreme sun in all his glory, travel from the cosmos to the, the bottom of creation on the grass, to the ordinary Christian right now, landing on what it means to be reconciled to God. Come through the church, we're here. But actually, in a paradoxical way, we've actually gone back up again. Because at this point, we've fallen higher than you can imagine. My skydiving image falls down here because reconciliation of God by Jesus is the high point and the most awe-inspiring reality. If you think the sun was grand, wait until you see what he's done for you and then you're pushed back up into the edges of the cosmos. The measure of love, says J.I. Packer, is how much it gives. And the measure of lo the love of God is the gift of his only son to become human and die for sin and so to become the one mediator who brings us to God. You see, the more we contemplate the vastness of Jesus and his majesty, the more we appreciate the salvation he brings us. As 21, verse 21 says, you were once alienated. Verse 22, you were full of blemishes. You see, before Jesus, our life is like driving around a defected car. It's not roadworthy. And given the supremacy of Jesus, that's not a good place to be in. And while we were the ones active in our alienation from God, Jesus is active in our reconciliation. In verse 22, but now, sorry, it's not up there, but now he has reconciled you. If you are in Christ, as we saw last week, if you are in Christ, you cannot be defected, ever. You're not that anymore. You see, the clarity that we need about Jesus is not just his divinity and his gravitas, but his death for you and me to bring us back to God so that all of our rebellion, all of our defects can be judged at the cross and new life can begin so that we can be holy. Which is why Paul encourages them with this last verse, to stand firm in this Jesus, if you continue in your faith, established and firm. We've seen lots of Jesus' faithfulness so far. And now it's perfectly good and right to say, at this moment, our faith or your faith in him. You see, we need the eternal perspective of the Supreme Son making us holy. Our faith is in him. The Supreme One has been faithful to you. Enjoy the freedom of living in him. Keep going each day in that faith, looking at the Supreme One, being reminded of the gospel that you believe that says you once were and you now are and this is for all people, 
to be proclaimed on all of heaven because it's the kind of gospel and the faith fitting for everything and everyone. You see, there's only one supreme son and it's not you. It's Jesus. Christianity is all about Jesus. Let's stay amazed at him. Let's keep faith in this supreme son. Let's be in awe of the son who would do that for you. And the way we navigate all the temptations to turn away from Jesus, like the Colossians faith, is the occasional skydiving trip up to see the majesty of Jesus and landing back down at the cross, the place of our redemption, captivated by this supreme son week after week, day after day. So the question I'll leave you with as we finish is this. Is this your vision of Jesus too? Is your confidence in this Jesus? In all the conflicts, in all the uncertainty, in all the frustrations and monotony of life that you go through, the Supreme Son is the one who holds it up, who holds you up, who exists without tiring, who exists without being bored or giving up and making you, my dear friend, one of God's holy people. May we meditate more on this Jesus today and every day this week. Let me pray. Our great God, your Son is the perfect representation of you. Give us a great, grand, glorious vision of him and that he not only is you but died for us to reconcile us back to you. And that is amazing. Lord, Help us to contemplate you in all your glory through Jesus, our Saviour. May you be given the glory. Amen. There was so much in this passage. And as you have coffee and and before the AGM begins, why not ask someone what you find awe-inspiring about Jesus from Colossians 1, 15-23? What is it from these verses today? As you have a coffee, just say to someone, man, you know that whole holding all things together? That's awe-inspiring. Or it might be the fact that he was before creation. What is it for you? What is it that struck you from these few verses? Why not share that with someone and be encouraged by them and encourage someone else? Um, But what we're going to do now is sing. We're going to sing how great our God is. So would you please stand, and as the band comes up, we'll sing. Thank you.